Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Hey, we're on our series called Holy Spirit, Agent of Truth. So if you get out your worship guides, there'll be some sermon notes in there. You want to check those out. Or you can get on your YouVersion Bible app. There's sermon notes are available for you there as well. So pull out the paper or the tech a version of your sermon notes. You can get those also online if you'd like to check those out. Get our Bibles out this morning. Let's open up to the book of John chapter 15. Woo! John 15. Give it up. Wasn't worship great this morning? Man, those guys did a fantastic job. Thankful for our worship team, all the people who make that possible. Yeah. Thank you for the five of you that clapped for our worship team. The rest of you... I was just kidding. You're busy turning to the book of John. I can't do everything at the same time, Chad. Holy Spirit, agent of truth. Hope you've been enjoying this series. Uh, God just been speaking to me new things through this. And today, as we talked about agent of truth, I thought about what is an agent? What's an agent represents? And the definition of agent just means a representative who is authorized to act for or in the place of another. Someone who speaks on another behalf. So if I'm an agent, really it's not about me. It's about someone else. I thought of a sports agent. I'm kind of a sports fan, and so when I thought about agent, I think about a sports agent. They represent athletes for negotiations for their contracts, for their salaries, for endorsements, commercials, you know, all that. An agent negotiates that all behind the scenes, and, and the, I found the highest paid agent in 2018. I don't know if you're wanting to be a sports agent, but maybe this will inspire you if, uh, if you want to be successful in this area. The highest paid sports agent in 2018, Scott Boris who earned in commissions in one year $105 million. And that's for negotiating over $1.9 billion in contracts. So the purpose or the responsibility of the agent, if that number just totally threw you into tilt, will bring it back together. The responsibility of the agent is to promote the athlete's image, abilities, and career. So I want to zero in on the responsibility of the agent is to promote the, the, uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The appearance, if you will, of the athlete to promote them so that they, they can benefit their, their image, their reputation. They want, they want their athlete or their person, they want them to be in good standing because the more they promote their image, the more they benefit from it. So it's like a cycle. I'll promote you, you'll benefit me. I'll promote you, you'll benefit me. Out of a relationship with you, I get benefited, but I'm going to keep promoting you, and out of that relationship, I get benefited. So this is what I thought about, that the Holy Spirit is the agent of the Heavenly Father. He's the agent because his job is to promote the image of the Father in heaven. Now God, the Father in heaven, so we're going to look at it on Father's Day as we talked about Father's Day is not the greatest day in the world for some people. It's a challenging day for some because some either don't know who their father is or they know who their father is and they don't like them or they've had a terrible experience, been abused by a father. All kinds of different dynamics go into play when we're talking about Father's Day. But I just want to make sure we look at today, we're going to look at who the Heavenly Father is, what He's like We're going to promote him. A lot of times in sermons and messages, we're talking about what we need to do, like how we need to live our lives, how we need to adjust. But today, I want you to just put all that to side. 
Nothing today is about what you need to do. The goal of today is doing our best to promote the image of the Heavenly Father. What is He like? Not what are we need to do, but what is He like? I, I'm, my best uh, agenda or, or goal today is to use the Bible to give an image of what the Heavenly Father is like. Because I've found in my life, I know this was a case for me, that too many times we gauge our image of the Heavenly Father based on our image of earthly fathers. Or we gauge the image of our Heavenly Father based on the image of ourselves. What we think about ourselves, we assume He thinks about us. How other people look at us, we assume that's how He looks at us. But I want to know what He's like. Anybody know what God's like? Anybody want to know what that's like? So let's, let's look what it means. Maybe your perspective this morning of the Heavenly Father is He's mean, judgmental, and impossible to please. You know, some people have that image of the Heavenly Father. They see this, this big dude sitting on a throne, a little bit of a scowl, ready to zap you if you get out of line. <laughs> you know, it's like he's it's got that going on. Like, did you think about sinning? If you just think about it, think about it. I dare you. Come on, think about it. Look at her again. You look at her again, I'll hit you with something. I'll... This is how some people think about God. They have this image that, oh, oh, because I, I didn't read my devotional this morning, that's why I got the flat tire. Yeah, I knew it. I knew I should have read through that devotional this morning, and, and there it is. That's the way it is. God, God got me. He's getting me back. I, I knew I shouldn't have sinned. I knew I shouldn't have done that last night, so now this is what's happening. I, I knew I should have been doing that, but now, you know, I have this sickness. I, I, you know, God's, God's got me in this. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, I mean, God's teaching me a lot. They've got this image of the Father that this is what he does. He waits for us to screw up, and then he gets vengeance on us. He gets us back. He's a back-getter. He's a get-backer. <laughs> but I hope to dispel a little bit of that. When Jesus was on the earth, he was a representative of the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at the life of Jesus. Philip asked Jesus this question one time. He said, Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the Heavenly Father. We'll believe you if you just show us the Father. And Jesus said, yo, Peter, uh, Philip, stop looking up. Look at me. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. Everything that I do, I do because of the Father speaks it through me. Everything that I say, I've heard from him. Everything I do, it's the Father in me that's doing the works. I am the representative of the Father. So when you want to know what, what the Father's like, all we got to do is look at Jesus. So now Jesus ascended into heaven. He left us the Holy Spirit. Look in John 15, verse 26. We're going to find another Holy Spirit, the agent of the Father. It says this in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that today you be glorified. Holy Spirit, I pray that you be the agent of truth for us, that you will show us what the Father is like. You will teach us what the Father is like. I pray for every lie about the Father to be exposed today, every false perception to be flipped upside down today, that we will see clearly what our Heavenly Father is like. I give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say a big amen this morning. All right, in verse 26, Jesus was talking. He says, but when the Helper comes, everybody say Helper. Helper, this word helper is the word parakletos. It means to call alongside one who helps, obviously, but through consoling, encouraging, advising, an intercessor, a comforter. All these words could be used for the Holy Spirit. 
So you said, Jesus saved when the helper comes. But here's another definition I found about the Holy Spirit that might speak directly into what we're talking about today. It's a spokesperson or representative of someone else's policy, purpose, or cause. A spokesperson or representative for someone else's policy, purpose, or cause. So the Holy Spirit came not for his own cause, not for his own purpose, to be a spokesperson or a representative for heaven. He came to tell us what heaven was like. He came to tell us what the Father's like. He came to tell us what Jesus is like. He came to tell us what's on the heart of heaven for us. He is a spokesperson for them. He's a representative. He's an agent. Holy Spirit's an agent for heaven. He's not an undercover agent. Maybe he's undercover. He's inside of us. He's an undercover agent. So now notice what it says, though, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. Here's what we need to know about the Holy Spirit as a representative, as an agent. He is an agent of truth. This is a truth, not many truths, not like, well, that's your truth, not my truth. And I'm okay with this, whether you're watching online or right here listening to this. It's okay if you have differing worldviews. You know, people will say this, there's no absolute truth. That's your truth, but that's not my truth. Here's what I do know, is there is 100% absolute truth. We just don't know it yet. I don't know it all yet. I, I've got partial, but I don't know it all. And so if you have a different view, if maybe you watch this, you're like, hey, I don't believe in that God stuff. I don't believe in, I just believe we, through evolution that we develop over that. That's cool. That's okay to believe that. I'm just saying that someday we're going to know whether God created us, whether there is a God, or whether we evolved. We're going to know. There is an absolute truth. We just may not know it yet. Does that make sense? So there is absolute truth. There's just lack of knowledge of absolute truth. There's lack of awareness of it. So we just got to understand what God wants us to do in this and and figure out what does it look like for us. Holy Spirit will tell us the truth, a reality, actuality, firm, solid, solid, and binding. Not perceived truth, but reality. Notice what the Spirit of truth does. Who proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from. It means to go out from means that he leaves from there. So the Father, check this out, the, he- the Heavenly Father sends the Holy Spirit out. He proceeds from the Father. So everything that comes from the Holy Spirit, this is what we need to know about this, everything that comes from the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. That's the connection. Everything we get from the Holy Spirit, it, the, or the originator of it or the, the initial point of it is coming from the Father. It's proceeding from the Father. So when the Holy Spirit speaks to us about the Father, it's, he's giving us the truth because it's coming straight from the Father. Like, okay, what is it? Here's why I think it's so valuable. I think when we properly understand the Father, we'll have a different relationship with the Father. I'm still growing in this. I'm still growing in this. But, but maybe you didn't have a great relationship with the Father, or maybe you, don't, maybe you got a different perspective of the Father. But today, we're going to address what I believe the Bible says, what the Father is like. And I found seven God of statements that describe what He is like. Again, it's not about you and I. It's not about what you have to do today. I'm just one to describe Him. And what that means to you in a relationship with him. So seven God of statements, like God of this, God of that, to describe him. Let's look at the first one. Are you ready? Seven God of statements. The truth about the heavenly Father. What is he like? The first one, he's the God of the living. The God of the living. Matthew 22, verse 32 says this. I, this is Jesus talking. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead but of the living. Talking about the God 
the Heavenly Father. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham. He says, I am the God of Abraham. When Jesus is saying this, this is 1,700 years after Abraham was already dead. And he says, I am the God of Abraham because I'm the God of the living, not the God of the dead. I'm not, see, he, God is not in the I was business. He's in the I am business. He says, I, I am. I'm the God of the living. The word living, uh, the word dead there means a uh, dead body like a corpse means lifeless, useless, or ineffective. The word living means to be alive, full of life, to live again, or resurrection life. So he's the God that's full of life when th- things seem lifeless. If you've got a situation that seems lifeless, he's the God of life. He's the God that's full of life. He's always thinking life. He's always thinking new. He's the God of the living, not the God of the dead. I'm not the God of the ineffective, he says. I'm the God of the effective. I'm the God of living. I'm the God. He said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, I made a covenant, a promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I will fulfill that covenant. I am a living covenant. I'm not dead. People may die, but I don't die. My promises don't die. I'm the God of the living. And they also said, it's resurrection life. So things that may seem dead to us are not dead to him. What does it mean, resurrection life? It means that even if we think something is dead, God says, I'm the God of the living. I can bring it back to life. What does that speak to me and you about him being the God of the living? That means it's never too late. Even if you think it's too far gone, Chad, I'm I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. I've messed up. Or my marriage is too far gone. Or my kids are too far gone. He says, I'm the God of resurrection life. Even if it's dead. Martha came to him when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' grave, and and she said, you know, Jesus, if you would have been here earlier, Lazarus wouldn't have died. He says, Martha, what's up? I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though they were dead, yet shall they live. He says, I'm the God of the living. Death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? He said, it's lost. Death has lost all power because I'm the God of the living. That's what he's telling you. If you believe in me, even if you die, now if you have a faith or life in Jesus Christ, even if my body falls dead in this earth, it says to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, I am still going to live because Jesus is the God of the living. That's what the Heavenly Father is telling us about this. He's the God of resurrection life. If you think your situation's too late this morning, know today that he's the God of the living. If you think it's too far gone, he's the God of the living. The second one, let's look at this. He's the God of grace. If I know he's the God of living and it's never too late that he can resurrect anything, that he's always wanting to bring life to me, life to my situations, my thoughts, resurrection, I need to know he's the God of grace. Whoo, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He's the God of grace. What does it mean here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10? But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. He's the God of grace. That word grace means favor, kindness, goodwill, given freely, whether it's deserved or not. We need to know this about our Heavenly Father. He's the God of grace. In other words, he has favor and goodwill towards you. Whether we deserve it or not, he's the God of grace. 
I'm coming to you, he says. Whether you come to me or not, I'm coming to you. Why? Because I'm a God of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's undeserving. It's like you get these thoughts, God, I just don't deserve it. I don't even deserve to praise God this morning. I don't even deserve to sing. I've been so bad. I've had those thoughts. I don't, hey, he's the God of grace. He's the God of grace. Religion has a hard time with grace. Religion has a hard time with grace because religion wants you to earn it. Religion is like the old-fashioned way. Some of you, I'm going to date myself on that commercial reference. You know what I'm talking about? But they do things, earn money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Some people want their salvation the old-fashioned way. They want to earn it. In other words, they want to be a good little boy and girl. And as long as they're good, God loves them. Yes, they do. You're a good boy. Yes, you are. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Father. Yes, I've been good. I read my Bible today. Yes, I did. Oh, you're such a good little boy. We laugh, but I'm telling you, that's how some people see the Father. And so he's telling you, I'm a God of grace. I've already decided. He says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. He's a God of grace. So if you've screwed up royally, we need to be thankful that he's a God of grace, that he gives me what I don't deserve. Woo! Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your amazing grace on our life. Come on, let's give him praise for his grace. He's a God of grace. God of grace. Whew. It's the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, son took everything from the father and, and wasted all of his money and inheritance on riot, riotous living, the Bible says. And then he, he says, i got to go back to my father. And you would think, earthly definition, that the, 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 the earthly father, in our minds sometimes, the earthly father would be sitting there in his room and just waiting for that boy to come crawling back to him and say, I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so, yeah, you're sorry, all right. Took all my inheritance and wasted it. I hope you feel better. How are all those women? Hope you enjoyed yourself. Rotten with the pigs now. Where you at now? Where most would think that's how God is, and they view the Heavenly Father. But what is the picture of the prodigal son? That when he was still afar off, here comes the Father. Come here, boy. Come here. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. He loved him and embraced him. Why? Because we got a God of grace. Woo, change your perspective. That's the way God is. Well, I don't deserve it. I know, isn't it awesome? He still loves us. I don't deserve it. I know it's the God of grace. We've got to destroy a lot of pride to receive the God of grace. Because we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And God says, no, nah, no, nah, you're never going to get it. You're never going to be enough. I came to you because you could never come to me. So just receive it. God of grace. Man, we could preach all day on that one, but let me just move on. See, I'm going to throw this out. Where sin abounds, the Bible says, grace does much more abound. So you're watching this or listening to this, you're like, Chad, you just don't understand how bad I am. I mean, I'm an awful sinner. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like top ten sinner. I'm, telling you, I'm like, I'm whatever. Paul said, I'm the chiefest of all the sinners. But he wrote about the grace of God. Where sin abounds, Grace much more abounds. Mm, mm, mm. He's the God of grace. Let's look at the next one. Third one, I put three and four together. It's one scripture in Romans 15, verse 5. He's the God of patience and comfort. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Let's look at the first one there, the God of patience. 
We need to know that our Heavenly Father is a God of patience. Everybody say patience. Woo. Anybody need patience in your life? The reason sometimes we assume God is not the God of patience because we're not very patient. We assume the Father's like us. I'm not, I'm not a broad brushstroke. Some of you are probably better than me. But, but sometimes we, we take our characteristics and we superimpose those over onto the Father and we say this is how he feels. And we're not God. But it says he's the God of patience. Here's what patience means. It's a Greek word that means to stay under, to literally hold up under something. It means endurance constancy, or cheerful expectations. The God of patience, what does it mean to us by definition? It means that he's going to stay with us through difficult times. He's going to support us so that we will not be crushed by the weight of our circumstances. He's a God of patience. He's going to stay with you. He's going to stay with you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to quit. He's going to stay. He's going to endure. You may give him all kinds of reasons. You may give up on yourself, but he's never going to give up on you. The Bible tells us that if we become faithless, he remains faithful. I'm thankful he's a God of patience. He's needed all kinds of patience with this old boy right here because it took me a long time. It still takes me a long time to get some things he wants me to get. And I think he still loves me. Yeah, because he's patient with me. Sometimes I believe he, you know, he, he's got to look at Jesus. Well, he's slow, but he's coming around. He's slow, but he's coming around. He's patient with me. Things I should get like that may take me a while. I want you to know he's the God of patience. When you're not patient with yourself, he's patient with you. When you quit and you give up on yourself, he's still with you. He's patient with you. He's constant. He's also, it says here, the God of comfort. The God of comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Come on, paint a picture of the Heavenly Father. He's a Father of mercy. That means he has an awareness and a sympathy for your suffering. He knows what's going on with you. And he's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our tribulation. The word comfort means to be encouraged or consoled. Comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. He's the God of all comfort in all our tribulation, in all our tribulation, in all our tribulation. It doesn't say he's the God of all comfort taking us out of all tribulation. He says, I'm the God of comfort in the middle of your tribulation. That even when you're in the middle, what does it tell me about him? He says, Chad, if you're in it, I'm in it. If you're going through something, I'm going through something. I'm going to comfort you in all tribulation. I'm not, I'm not comforted when I don't have tribulation. He says, yeah, I'm going to comfort you right smack dab in the middle of it. That's the God we serve. He's a God of comfort. He said, I get in there with you. I roll up my sleeves and say, come on, we're going to make it through this. We're going to come out on the other side. And why does he do that? He comforts us in our tribulation so that we can in turn comfort others in the same situation with the same comfort we have received. Sometimes some reasons why I'm in something is because he wants to come in it with me, bring me out, because he's going to bring someone across my path that's in the same thing I just came out of. And he says, what I just gave you, I want you to give it to them. Whew. Why am I yelling? I don't know. I'm just excited. 
Anybody thankful that God is the God of comfort? He comforts us. He comforts us in tribulation. we got to see him as the comforter. Some of you big, strong dudes, you need to see him as the God of comfort. You need to see him as the God of mercy. Sometimes we have a false perception of our Heavenly Father based on the perception of our earthly father. So maybe you had a father. Some of you didn't ever have a father that would comfort you in difficult times. They say, suck it up, buttercup. Suffer in silence. Get over it. Ah, you're all right. But you never had a Heavenly Father. You know, some of the, some of the weight as I was preparing this and, and looking over what he's like, I said, God, <laughs> I feel the weight of being a father with the responsibility of showing my kids what the heavenly father is like. And I'm like, oh, oh, miserable failure. So many things I fall short because I want them to know what the heavenly father is like. And he's not like me. He's so much better than me. He's faithful. He's genuine. He's kind. He's loving. You want to love the heavenly father. He is amazing. I'm not amazing, but he's amazing. So when you see that, we understand that this is who he is. we got to embrace him. He's the comforter. We need to go to him in times of trouble, not run away from him. And just because we didn't get a picture of it on earth, it doesn't mean he can't be that for you. He's the God of all comfort. Maybe you've never had a dad who came up and said, come here, come, come here, son. I'm so proud of you. Come here, daughter. I'm so proud of you. I love you. Oh, man, you're doing the best you can. I appreciate Some of you have never heard those words from your father. But I want you to say he's the God of all comfort. That if you never heard it from here, you can hear it from here. He's the God of all comfort. He wants to tell you this morning. He wants you to see him as that, that he comes to comfort you. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's the God of all comfort. Whew. Let's go to the next one. He's, he's the God of hope. God of hope. Romans 15, 13. says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The word hope means to look forward with confidence and expectation to the future. Why do we need hope for a situation? Usually we need hope if the present is not very good. We want something we got to have hope for, that things are going to change. He's the God of hope. What does that mean for me? Is he is never looking at where I have been. He's always looking at where I'm going to go. He always looks at me with hope. He always looks at me with expectation. He's the God of hope for me. He's not sarcastic. He's not looking at me going, well, I tell you what, you've given me no reason to believe that you're ever going to change. I've been watching you your whole life. And you've been this way your whole life. See, from there to there, every time and time and time and time and time again. So I'm telling you, that's the way you're going to be. No, he's the God of hope. He's saying, today's the day. Chad's going to turn it around. I believe today's the day. He's going to get better. He's the God of hope for you. He's always looking forward for you. He's dragging us out of our past into our future. We want to waller sometimes. I'm so miserable. I don't deserve it. I've been this way. I'm always going to be. God says, no, you're not. You can do better. No, I won't. Yes, you can. No, I won't. I had this argument, arguments, strong word, this discussion with, with Lucas the other day on the t-ball field. <laughs> He's got into t-ball this year. I could do a whole lot about the T-ball experience for all of my kids, and they were all very similar. This is just the current one. But so, so we're there, and, and he's out in the field, and you know how it is when, when the, they hit a ball, and it's just like a flock. Everybody herds to the ball. Nobody plays any positions. You know, they're running from the outfield. They're running from everywhere. Everybody's after the ball. And he was sitting there at his position. I believe he was at third base this time, and someone 
He hits it and it goes past the pier. I said, go get it, Lucas. And he runs over there. Well, there's like five of them already on top of the ball. And he comes back. I told you I'm never going to get it. <laughs> so they hit the ball again. And it, and it goes really, a little closer to him this time. And he runs over. And somebody beats him the ball. And he says, see, I'm never going to get it. But see, God is the God of hope that says, next time it's mine. See, in, the, in our life, we, we make mistakes and things go wrong, and we get just kept telling ourselves, I'm never going to amount to anything. It's never going to work. My marriage is never going to change. It's never going to get better. I'm, I'm never going to get it. I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to get over this. It's going to stay with me. He's the God of hope, and he wants you to be filled with all hope in believing. Because if you don't believe, we can't have hope. If you don't believe, it's going to be different. If Lucas never believes, he's going to get the ball. He'll never have hope to get the ball. If you'll never believe that things are going to change, you can't have hope because hope comes from believing. I believe it's going to change. I believe God's going to come through. I believe it's going to make it. I believe it, God. So now I have hope. He's the God of hope because he believes in you. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Let's look at the last, last two. I'm going to put them together. One verse. The God of love and God of peace. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. First one, God of love. We need to know this about our Heavenly Father. He's the God of love. What kind of love? This word love there is the Greek word agape, which means the highest form of love, the God kind of love, universal, unconditional love regardless of circumstances, goes beyond emotions to the extent of seeking the best for others. This is the love that God has for you. Unconditional love, always looking out for your best. This is the love that he thinks about you all the time. It's unconditional how much he loves you. Here's what it says in 1 John 4, 8, he does not... He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We know this. We've said this, but you've got to know it in your heart this morning. God doesn't have love. God is love. He is love. He don't know anything else but to love. He doesn't know how to operate except by love. He just loves you. How does he love you? Look what he did in verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation just means to extinguish or end the guilt of it. Here's how much he loves us. He loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins. Not that we loved him, the Bible says, but that he loved us. How many people do you love unconditionally that don't love you? I might think that process through a little differently. I might, being God, want to know how many people are actually going to receive my son before I send him to die. But he said, no, I'm going to give him in faith because I love them. Love. I had an experience one time with God, and I was seeking after God and wanting God to do something in my life, wanting God to change me. This has just been a few years ago. And, and God spoke to my heart, and he said, Chet, I can't make you believe I love you. At some point, you just got to believe it. I was wanting to feel it. I was wanting to feel love. He said, you just got to believe it. I love you. I'm sold on you. I'm committed to you. I'm all in for you. Unconditional. Whether you love me or not, I've already decided I love you. He's the God of love. He loves you. 
you got to receive it. He, he operates out of love. His motivations towards you are love. He's not a manipulator. Some of you have been taken advantage of in different places, so you wonder and you don't trust people because you're not sure if they're coming at you from the right angle. But I'm telling you, everything God does for you is out of love for you. Trust him. Why is he telling you not to go into that relationship? Why is he telling you not to go into that situation? Why is he telling you to stay out of that sin? Because he loves you. It's not because he's mad at you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. Nobody loves you as much as God. Your heavenly father is straight up crazy about you. He's not mad about you, mad in a bad way. He's mad in a good way. He's madly in love with you. He's the God of love. Let's look at the last one, God of peace. God of peace. The word peace there in the Greek means a state, a state of being, not a feeling, a relationship, or an attitude. The opposite of war, disturbance, or hostility. Check this out about the Heavenly Father. That's what we need to know about Him. He is the God of peace. So He is a, in a state of being, the opposite of war or hostility. That's the state He exists in. He's in God of peace. So what does that tell me? That tells me that He's not hostile towards me. He's not hostile towards you. He's not angry at you. He's not angry about sin. Let me give you some scripture for this. Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. What's that middle wall of separation between God and man that sin caused? He's broken down that wall, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Listen to this. Man, he's the God of peace. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself, Jesus, one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile, check this out, reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death, are you hearing me? Putting to death the enmity between God and man. Jesus died on the cross and put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who are near. For through him, Jesus, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Here's what he's saying. He's the God of peace. There is no enmity between us and the Father anymore. How does that, how does that translate? Too many times people have this ideology about the Father. They think because of sin, God is reacting and bringing judgment. I remember when uh, the uh, floods came in Katrina and New Orleans. I remember how many people were talking about, it's the judgment of God for the sin of that city. The sin. God's judging them. Getting what they deserve. I'm telling you, God's not going to put up with that. He's a righteous God and sin's got to be dealt with. I'm here to tell you, according to Ephesians, sin has already been dealt with. God's not reacting to sin anymore. If God gets angry because of sin today, then the blood of Jesus was not enough. I have a reason we got to get this because he's a God of peace. He's not mad at the world. He's not mad at the United States. Well, if they don't straighten up, I'm telling you what, judgment's coming to the United States. No, 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 it's, no, it's not. Peace has come to the United States. 
Now, if they don't choose God, then they get the fruit of whatever they choose, but it's not on God's end. God's releasing peace. He says, I come and I preach peace to you who are afar off. I said peace to you is who he preached. He's already paid the penalty for sin. He's not judging sin. Sin has already been judged. If my sin that I commit now causes God to react, then as I said before, the blood of Jesus didn't pay for my sin. But God's not looking at my sin anymore. He's looking at the mercy seat and he sees the blood of Jesus. And I, I, Sorry, I can't see anything. The blood of Jesus has already covered his sin. He's the God of peace. You need to receive that. Are you saying I can live however I want? Well, you can if you want but you're going to get the fruit of however you live. All I'm saying is God is offering peace to you. He's offering you wholeness. He's offering salvation to you. He's offering love to you. He's offering all this to us, and all we got to do is receive it. But too many times people see the Father as somebody angry and ready to snap at somebody. Did you think about sinning? I, heard, I saw your thoughts last night. Don't you dare raise your hands in worship. I saw what you were thinking about last night. I saw what you looked at on Instagram. You looked at that, and then you're going to come in and try and sing songs to me? You better not even think about it. <laughs> you think I'm playing. These are real thoughts that people deal with. So they stay in this beaten down state of I'm just no good. I'm worthless piece of trash. I just don't deserve it. So we stay there, and it's never God. God already knows where we are. He knows how low we are. He's not surprised. That's why he's the God of grace, and he came down to us, and he says, I want to bring you up into righteousness, but all you have to do is come to me. He preaches peace. But we got to be careful because we have this stereotype in our mind of what the Heavenly Father is like. And some people struggle to receive him as, as this because they just think they don't deserve. They want the harsh, they, they think they want. You know, when I hear people that say, you just need to be harder on sin. I tell you, those people, they, they better, you just don't be so soft on that. You need to preach about the sin. When I hear people like that, the, my experience is those people don't have the fruit of a lo loving relationship with the Father in their life. They're wanting something for others that they don't have for themselves. And so what I'm saying is that this is the God. I, I just give seven. He's so much more than these seven. Seven. But he's, I want you to know this morning, he's the God of the living, not of the dead. So it's not too late. It's not too late this morning. He's the God of the living. He's the God of grace. He's already decided what he thinks about you. He's already all in for you. He's already come to you. He's the God of patience. He will never give up on you. He's the God of comfort. Whatever you're in, he's in it with you. I don't know which of these seven you need to redefine, but I believe this. As God was speaking this, this to me, he said, I want people to know what I'm like. He said, too many people are staying away from me when they should be running towards me. They're scared of me. And he says, because they don't know me. If they just knew me, they would come running to me because I'm the God of love. Come here, I want to give you a big hug and kisses. They're like, no, that's not the Father. I tell you what, the Father, he's stern. He's distanced, keep it. No, that's the way you see Father. The way you see Father is not necessarily how he is. Just because that's how you interact with your earthly father doesn't mean that's how he is. He may be all ooshy gooshy. He may all be one to give you kisses. Give me a give me a kiss. Like, no, we don't do that in my family. We're men. That's great. That's cool. I'm not saying you change, but I'm just saying how you see him determines how we see ourselves. Because when I don't see him rightly, then I can't see myself rightly. 
because the Father in me is going to give me a picture of what he wants me to be. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.